Welcome to the Oh My God podcast, season two, with your co-hosts, Zelda Lebowitz and Hannah Rachel Cohen Portnoy. In season one, the podcast aimed to talk about success in the face of failure, modern Judaism, and real life. Season two will deliver the same message, but even more potently. Zelda and Hannah Rachel have individually and collectively been challenged by the Jewish system they grew up in. Through their evolution, through their questions, failures, mistakes, and heartbreaks, they've begun to untangle much of what was keeping them in survival mode so they could truly be set free to thrive. This is what they'll dissect each week with you, the Jewish journey, real, raw, and vulnerable. Because that is the only thing that can truly change lives and maybe even save them. You're only one episode away from being more honest with yourself. Welcome. Yes. Welcome to the Oh My God pod. Thank you for coming on and joining us. Thank you for having me, Zelda. I like, I want to give you a hug. I haven't seen Fabulous, you. like usual. Oh yeah. God. I was so excited to hear, Zelda, you were, and, and that you guys had like embarked on this podcast and just kind of read about the background. You emailed me, all very exciting. So congratulations. It's such an honor to have you. We're very, we're very excited to have you on. I, when I said fabulous right now, it just brought me back to the days when you were a uh, fabologist. I'm like, you, you, you came up with that, that word fab just suits you so well. It like came out <laughs> from, from, from me. That's so cool. We're very excited to share. I actually have, even though I worked with Zelda, I worked at, you know, later, my sister was working with Zelda at the time. So she had met you and she was always so inspired and impressed by you. So I'm really excited to meet you and have you on our podcast. Oh, right. You were, yeah, you were I never met you. Oh, Palarajo came on after, after we, wow, that's so funny. Yeah. I, did, I didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah. I know I feel like there was this there was this kind of like bubble of space and time when I think modest fashion and this crew in New York and later London you know came together and we all became really close and worked together to really shift the tides and be innovative and have a lot of camaraderie around Judaism modesty um and just being really proud of that in our industry and pioneering it. So I, I think of that with such good memories and I'm very fond of it. And Zelda was such a huge part of that. So thank you Adi, for saying that. I know that you're a big, big part of my journey. I know that recently we spoke, um, we sort of reconnected after COVID and every, you know, everything sort of started to change my life for sure. And, you know, also you and coming back, um, you know, into like a new stage, sort of like post COVID and where everything is changing also online, I know. And I want to like share a little bit of, um, you know, on the podcast to share a little bit about when Adi Heyman started, you know, she was really like the first modest, I would say like the first chic, like real time, you know, blogger, influencer, whatever you want to call it. And then, you know, the, the dynamic, like the climate of everyone, it became like mainstream, you know, like every for the second woman was able to access that and share and inspire. And um, so I would love to, you know, for, I feel like everyone knows Adi, but I would love to like sort of journey a little back and take us on like a journey of like really how you got to um, modesty in the first place. And um, yeah, take us on that journey a little bit so we could all, all learn and hear. Okay, so you should I start like how I got to Judaism or more about how I got to like yeah, modest- I don't even know if 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 many even people know that you're a convert. So yeah, like to get us back to that um from the you know, let's start from the ground from the up. Yeah. Um 
Okay. I haven't, I'll tell you, I haven't done a podcast and I haven't done any type of like social thing like this in a year. Because wow. um, actually today is my second son's first birthday. So it was literally, I made the decision to kind of not, you know, not be on social platforms, but I, I just made the decision that I had spent the majority of my energy during COVID being on you know, social media, trying to raise awareness, trying to, you know, create aid in different areas, particularly for New Yorkers in need um, during the pandemic. So when I had my son, I just was like, you know what, like, there's so many great voices out there now. And I just, I didn't, I don't know, I've stepped back a bit also, I think for my older son, because of so many of the studies around social media, and it's just not something I want a part of his life. So, you know, it's kind of figuring all of that out. So this is, I did this only because of Zelda, but it's so funny. Uh I feel like deja vu of going back to like all of this. Um, such a powerful voice. I know you inspire me tremendously. You know, just how you blend fashion, faith, modesty, all of that. And, you know, it's like, I'm just talking, I'm talking from my perspective, but I know that I talk with so many women behind me that there are so many parts and interests of ours, you know, like where we enjoy fashion, where we enjoy modesty. We have, you know, our our strength in our faith, but then they kind of sort of feel like separate categories. But you somehow very, you know, expertly sort of intertwine and they all like seamlessly blend together into one cohesive, beautiful image of you, Adi Heyman. So I would love, and this is really what the podcast is about. It's about creating a space of real conversation for, for women specifically, but really anybody to learn from and really to enhance their life right now. Like if they're in a rut, if they're if they're feeling broken or if they're feeling like they have like this desire, this creative, you know, imagination, but they don't know how to weave it so seamlessly, you know, into their life. And so they're really hearing the stories of other women like yourself will inspire our listeners to be able to take that leap of faith and to take that step. So yeah. And like how how that came to be, because obviously. Um, it always starts with just an idea, you know, that gets expounded on and gets, um, you know, with a lot of skill and talent and time gets um, to be what it is. So I was hoping to. Oh, my story to Judaism literally started with an idea because my parents, um, ra- we were, I was born a Christian, lived in Texas. I have three other siblings and my parents raised us um as part of the Christian faith, we went to church. Um, we grew up very um, intertwined with religion, even though it wasn't a Judaic type religion. It was a Christian religion. We were very, um, we were very involved. Um, my uncles, my family, a lot are pastors in churches, which are the equivalent of rabbis. Um, so it was, it was, you know, a great upbringing. Um, I was born Amber Fuller, not Adi, and. Um, kind of through my parents' journey in their own religiosity within Christianity, I, there were some questions they had, and it led them to a soul search that eventually, through different religions and meeting different people, um, got us to Judaism. And we actually, I grew up so kind of out and unaware of the Jewish community that my parents didn't even realize like Jews lived and thrived at a level of orthodox religiosity. Like my father was just like, I want to be like the Israelites, like the Torah people, like we didn't, or the Bible people, like we didn't know much about Judaism. We didn't really know any Jews, I don't think. Um, So 
Wow. Like I said, it led us to um, the Orthodox synagogue in San Antonio, Texas. And Rabbi Scheinberg there happens to be renowned for his conversions. So that was like very serendipitous. And I, I think it made it very easy because we had a rabbi right there who this was what he did. And um, so we went through the process as a family wow. and converted. And my siblings and I all chose our own names. Um, my Hebrew name is actually Aliza Adi, but I go by Adi. Um, we legally changed our names as well as children. Um, we went to court and we did it. Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was full force. Like we really, all of us as a family converted, we believed in Judaism. Um, How old were you at the time? 12. Wow. I was young. Yeah. Um, I have an older sister and two younger siblings. Um, but I, I don't know why people always ask me like, you know, nobody rebelled or no one didn't want to be Jewish. And I don't know, I, maybe because it was a, a process and we were raised like very spiritual, very God conscious. It just felt like a natural progression, even as a child. Um, I would say the most difficult was aspect of it was that my family, my cousins, my grandparents, that they were no, they weren't Jewish and we were. And so that was, you know, an interesting dynamic, but my grandparents um, were still very close to them and they were amazing. My grandmother's like, I'm going to get a microwave that doesn't have like pork or all that stuff. Like she was so, they were so sweet and so understanding. Um, my parents moved our entire family to Miami Beach, Florida. So I started high school, ninth grade at the Hebrew Academy there. And that was like, kind of being thrown into a large Jewish community um, and getting a you know, quick education on catch up. But um, it, was, it was a great choice my parents made because being, I, growing up out of town, I see people can struggle. I've had friends, it's, there's a struggle. There's not restaurants, there's not, especially a place like Texas. Um, and it's not, doesn't have what Houston or Dallas had, San Antonio. Um, so moving us to a community that offered us, you know, the best of a Jewish community, like I said, restaurants, schooling, multiple schools, um, different shuls to attend, different, you know, it just, it was, it was a nice mix. And I think it made, for me, Judaism feel very open to meet so many different types of Jews who, you know, lived in one place, but I don't know, even, even kids that I grew up with, their own siblings went to different schools. Some were at Beis Yaakov, some were at Hebrew Academy, some were at Hillel. And so I, I really, I enjoy grow up, growing up in Miami. Um, I came to New York at 17. Um, I loved the city right away, um, decided I wanted to stay. So I, I stayed in New York. I went to Toro College and I I actually had gone to Israel. I went to Darche Bina and left early. It was like a really bad year, 2000, in terms of terrorism and all of that. So I came back in December and wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, my parents and I both discussed, you know, secular colleges versus Jewish, and it felt like a Jewish college was the right choice. Um, so I went to Turo for two years, doubled up on credits and finished early, and was going to go to journalism, a journalism school at Columbia here in New York, ended up getting married. Um, and my husband and I lived in Connecticut briefly and I missed the city. So I got a job here and we moved back. 
And that kind of leads us to, I guess, the motivation behind Fabology. Um, I was not raised knowing much about fashion at all. I was raised in like jeans and a t-shirt um, and like flip-flops in the summer. It wasn't, it wasn't really, I mean, I knew it existed, but it wasn't of interest. And I wrote and I, uh, you know, by trade. So when I moved back to New York, I ended up getting a job working for a fashion editor here. And um, it was like very Devil Wears Prada and it was very much that era and I loved it. I, I, I don't know, I felt like the industry was a perfect fit. I didn't feel like I had to compromise my Judaism. Um, I felt like I could move up and explore different aspects of the industry. I just felt like everyone was very encouraging. Um, I started going to fashion weeks and started getting photographed pretty quickly um, and putting, being put in street style. And I was just so unaware of that whole scene. It was just like, I work, I was working all the time. I, if you're an assistant, you know, it was, especially during that era, um, it was just very chaotic and busy. Um, at 30, I decided that I was ready to have, or I wanted to have my son. My husband and I got married and we were broke. So we had to actually work for a long time and make a life before we felt like we could responsibly um, start a family. So I wanted to, I decided at 30, um, you know, start trying to have a baby and thank God had my son very quickly. While I was pregnant, um, I kind of backed away from my job in the industry. I knew I didn't want to keep up the hours. It was super competitive. It was super um, travel oriented. It just wasn't something I wanted to do when I had a baby. Um, so I felt like during this time when, and that was the six, seven years I was working in fashion, um, I would come home and I have all these crazy stories and make Shabbos and have people over and then go back to work and do fashion. And, and nobody, it wasn't like I, I wasn't a blogger. I wasn't anything at this point, but people were always like, it's so crazy what you do. And I can't believe people, you know, you wear a wig and you get photographed or you only wear modest clothing. They're like, you just, you can't do it and be in the industry. And I was like, I've literally been doing it for almost a decade. It's definitely possible. And not only that, I feel like the industry really saluted individuality. And I think without realizing at a young age, coming into that, that kind of fashion industry that's notorious for just influencing everybody, when you come in with your own mindset and that kind of guides your decisions and you know what you're wearing and what days you work and all of this, um, people, people see you as doing it differently and they tend to have a little bit of respect for that. Um, particularly when you don't bend. And in terms of religiosity, I was very um, upfront about, you know, not working on Chavez or always dressing modestly, whatever it may be. Did so, you get a lot of pushback and you just stood your ground or they just- No, I didn't ever feel like there was pushback. I really, I didn't. I felt like, listen, I'm a really hard worker by nature. I love to work. Like to me, it's like, I, I mean, my kids are my focus now that I have them. I'm probably as like obsessed with them as I was work, but I love work. Like it's not work to me. I love the creativity. I love, I just like, I like, I like working. I really enjoy it, particularly in what I was doing. So um, no, I didn't feel pushback, but I worked hard. I would work after Shabbos. I would work Sundays. I would work around holidays. I double time it. I, I would do whatever, you know, I would, I brought a lot to the table because it is a competitive industry, but I didn't feel like. I was being pushed down because I was not bending about particularly my Judaism. Um, you felt respected. 
I did. I did. And everybody's Jewish anyways in the industry. So it was like, I don't know. I thought it was great. I was like, oh, everybody's Jewish. This is, you know, fine. Not, not necessarily observant. I had never met another Orthodox woman working within, I guess, the areas of industry um, that I was in. I didn't ever, I would see at fashion shows sometimes some stylist, I think that came in from New York. I mean, came in from Los Angeles, um, but I never, I never met another religious woman working in fashion, at, kind of in the areas I was. Um, so at thirty, I told my husband, and this was back in two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten. I wasn't wasn't thirty yet, but I told my husband, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do, and I, I was pregnant at this point, and I had kind of stepped away, and I was just finishing off before I gave birth. I, so I didn't, you know, I trained someone else for my job. I was like, I'm going to start a website. And this is before Instagram. This is like this is like Facebook days. I mean, Instagram was at early conception, but it wasn't it wasn't typical at all at that point. Um, I was like, I really want to start a website, and I want to draw this like congruency between this fabulous life of quote unquote, I guess you know, New York and fashion and very sex in the city and all of that influence, but also kind of interwoven with the fact that my beliefs and my Judaism is inspires me to do so much of what I do. And then on top of that, kind of show people that modest fashion is not dowdy. Modest fashion is very trended. And I, I think when I was in fashion, if you were going to the higher level fashion shows, particularly in Europe, so much of the runway was modest. And I had never seen that before. I, I mean, at this point, at Zara, um, these type of like, may, you know, uh, fast fashion type places didn't have modest clothes like they do now. I mean, that is the influence definitely of an era when I was working in fashion with Phoebe Philo at Celine, when Valentino shifted Prada. I mean, we saw a huge shift with the Row, the Olsen twins. They they changed the industry with a lot of other designers and that shifted everything. And it, it was just very interesting how it aligned with when I was kind of coming into all that. But I remember I saw, and this was, I think 2000, oh gosh, I don't even know, 2008, 2009. I remember Dolce and Gabbana walked down a look that was a polka dot top and a, no, a leopard top and a polka dot midi. And it was totally, it was like a bodysuit look with a midi and it was just so fabulous. And I was just like, I, I was just like so inspired to just share this with people because I met so many people that I would, the takeaway when discussions on modesty were that they felt, they felt very confined. They felt they were, they didn't look as beautiful or sexy or hot or whatever, as I guess the industry was saying, non-modest clothing made you, they didn't feel as empowered. I mean, I come from a background. What do you think stimulated the shift from what the industry transferring, transforming from like more, you know, revealing clothing to more modest clothing? I think they. Really I think in general, we we live in a more inclusive world. Mm -hmm. I think the industry's grown. I think we saw designers coming in and. Susie Minkies, and now I'm like going back to like all the stuff I used to talk about with Fabology. She wrote an article, she's a journalist, she wrote the, an article in 2012 called A Modest Appraisal, I think. A Modest Agenda, A Modest Appraisal. And she basically said, and this was also like such an aha moment, and this is when I actually had the blog going. She was talking about 
um, influencers like Alexa. Again, we're not talking Instagram influencers, none of that yet. And I mean, that was that we were on Instagram then, but it wasn't the same. She was talking about like Alexa Chung and the the Olsen, you know, Mary Kate Nashley from the Row, and she was talking about um, who else? There was like a group of younger fashion icons, fashion girls that were being rebellious and their type of rebellion was dressing modestly was being like no no granny chic is what we're doing you know or no no i'm you know alexa chung i'm very british and this is what i you know i'm doing vintage rachel zoe with her vintage you know people who stepped out of the box they started doing it their way and there was inclusion within that and modesty was just a part of it. And I think a lot of people, again, I go back to the Olsons because they were so young and started the brand and they bucked the system. You know, their stuff from the get-go was heavily, heavily conservative, very modest, very uh, atypical for the industry at that point, particularly for their age. Um, And so I think all of it just happened at the right time. Um, So I launched the blog and I did it anonymously in the beginning because I just, I don't know, I, my goal and I, I, I have always grappled with it is I like to lead a very private life. I don't want my children out there during fashion week. I was fine to be out and photographed, but you're not going to see me with my kid at the shows. You're not going to see me posting photos. Like it's just not me. Like not that anything I'm so proud of my life and I love my life, but I just don't feel a need and it doesn't even occur to me half the time to have my phone out, be talking to people. Like, it's like, I'm just, I don't know, by nature, I'm a very present person. And I feel like very distracted when I'm trying to create content, but also live in a moment, particularly when I'm working or creating. To me, it just, it's not something that coexists. So it's, and Zelda knows, I mean, it's just something I never was. Yeah. I don't know. It was never the, it was never the impetus for what I was doing was to be out there like that. And so. That's amazing because that's, that's um, the biggest downfall of, of people on, meaning the biggest challenge of being on Instagram is that we lose uh, presence, you know, that is that. Right. And privacy. And privacy. And I used to, I was also, so I'll, t- I'll go back to the blog. So I launched the blog anonymously and I also, by nature, I'm just about like walking the talk. I think, you know, if, you're not going to tell someone something you believe if they believe it, if they don't believe it, or if they do believe it, you like, you're not going to convince them. They have their, you know, it'd be very difficult, I think. So I felt a lot of negativity towards modesty. And I personally, in my own life, I guess, because I choose modesty. Um, it's not something my parents forced on me. It's not some, my, my siblings and I keep all different levels of Judaism um, at this point. So it's, it's just something I do what I do because I believe in it. And um, my modesty for me has always been something really important. So um, I started putting out content that was industry level, a reflection of trends, runway, um, even just content going on at a style level and in terms of you know lifestyle, all of that. Um, I was obviously heavily influenced during the era of Gwyneth Paltrow doing Goop when I started my blog. And that was that was all inclusive of this idea of life, like, kind of living really aligned and wanting to celebrate all these different areas of your life. And it doesn't always have to be aspirational, but I think it's taking pride and it's, it's taking ownership and standing accountable. Um, 
to invest, invest in your in your family, in your world, in your religion, in your beliefs, and as, it, as it, within yourself, I'm saying invest. You know, to make it so that you're able to really live, you know, your words. And I, I think that's just very important to me. Um, so I was putting out all the content anonymously, and it got to a point where people started recognizing me, I guess at fashion weeks and knowing and just putting it together because I'd been doing it for a few years at this point anonymously. And it was like a big deal when I revealed who I was. It was so ridiculous because I was just like busy that whole time. Like I, I people constantly like talk about fabology or certain things. And I'm like, oh, I don't even remember that because I was just really busy creating tremendous amounts of content to put out on my own. I also started my blog in 2010, which was the same year Leandra Medine started. It was the same year a lot of the bigger blogs. Um, Emily Weiss started in the gloss. She went on to launch Glossier. So I just felt it. And I guess I've always been a little bit of an early adopter in terms of like even trend and wearing things that become very trended. And I felt like I wanted to start a blog and it was the same time other females in the industry said, we want to start our blogs. And it was a, it was also an empowering time. And we talked about the inclusion of modest fashion. It was, I think, the first time in the industry with, with the blogging and even the street style that used to, you'd go to a show, you saw the looks, people would buy the looks and wear them. Well, now we lived in an era where you could go on your computer and start a blog. So therefore you could start creating your own content. You could reflect your own ideas the same way in street style. You didn't really have to look at a runway look. You could reinterpret it, wear it, and still end up in the pages of Vogue. So it was very much like the Wild West. So there was a lot of room for individuality. And um, so the New York Times quickly profiled my blog after I started it. And they wrote a beautiful article about what I was doing. It was a very, I guess, it made a splash in the Jewish community. Um, a lot of people read it. Um, I was offered a reality show by Harvey Weinstein. I remember I sat down with the president of IMG. Um, they run, you know, they, they manage all the models, the Hadith, everybody. They're they're kind of like the I Ching of um, talent management in the industry. And I met with the president and he sat me down and he asked me about the blog. And I guess also just the blog wasn't just writing. It was like innovative. It was different. They were just... The industry had never seen this type of content, I guess, that was at a certain level, as well as me being able to go and be photographed time and time again and stick to my modesty. And like they had never seen someone, I guess, play it from that angle. And it was just very interesting to them. And I think they wanted to exploit it because you got to make money and new ideas are cool. And I remember he said to me, like, what do you want? Like, then they were like, you want to go on Oprah? You want to write a book? You want to talk about conversion? Like, what, what do you want? And I was like... I don't know. I didn't start this with a want. I just want, you know, I guess I wanted to share, but at this point I had a child who's very young and I told him, I said, you know, I just, I want to keep doing my blog. I don't really want to have to just, I don't know. To me, like I said, fame was never enticing enough at that point. I wanted to drastically change my life and my world because I loved it. I was so proud of it. And I thought we had a long way to go in the Jewish community. What do you mean that we had a long way, which I agree, um, especially back then, like a long way to go in the Jewish community in terms of like being connected to that publicly or what? what I think even, first of all, one person doing something Right. Is not, I don't think it's inspiring. I don't know if it's compelling because people always said, well, you 
you wear modest clothing so well, or well, you you know how to write, or well, you had a job in fashion. It's like that's your thing, and we think that's amazing. But I don't think like you were saying about your blog, like. Other people hearing something can be inspiring, but is it going to really catapult them into action? And I didn't, I thought because I was really the only one still doing this and then, you know, Instagram started, but no no one else was blogging. I I mean, I kind of know everybody who came about in the space because they were typically a bit younger than me or doing it as I was. And I, I was friends with all of them. I thought, you know, amazing. I'm actually curious to know, like, really, what were you ever challenged by modesty? Because it it seems like you love it. It's really like so much like almost like in alignment with who you are as an individual, like in terms of fashion, like you were able to blend it seamlessly and make it like top tier, trendy, you know, like other people, especially who who they sort of anoint to teach us and inspire us, especially me as a high school girl, as someone in 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 SNES, in modesty. Um, we're never people that had such a passion for fashion. So it's like, who are you to talk? Like they're giving us these beautiful Rebitsons, but not necessarily people that are inspired by the creative aspect of fashion. Like they should have brought in you, you know, you should go speak to high schools, uh, high school girls to inspire them and show how they could be so woven, um, you know, um, seamlessly and beautifully and artistically. I, I stayed doing Fabology, but instead of making it about me, I shifted and I immediately wanted to grow a community of women. And that's like, I think it's really important we talk about that because like, you know, Elizabeth Savetsky, Deanie Klein, all these people, like they really they all started, well, I sit down with coffee and I handpicked who I thought had the most talent. And I said, you can be on the blog and I'll take you to fashion week, but you got to stay Jewish and you got to wear a skirt when you're with me. When you came I to think- my house, when I was doing my wigs in my apartment, I remember yeah. clearly, cause you actually told, you, you recommended Liz to me. Right. And I remember, I remember like how it all originated. Like you really, I I, could, I actually feel like oh, I was even like of- the frock and all of that. Like yeah, you were part of I, all of their stories. It's well, amazing. I, you're really right. Cool. Like I sat down with them and then they designed the slip dress for me. I wore it, got it photographed time wow. and time again. And we, I feel like we worked the system. We created a group that made modesty in Judaism and look back in that time and look at how many articles in Vogue, the blonde salad, whatever name, she used to use pictures of me all the time. Like it was, but I'm, I'm also very aware in life and everything that like, it's gotta be bigger than you or you're, you're limiting yourself. So I really want to talk about that because I don't think people like everybody's so out for themselves nowadays. And like, I'm a very quote me for we type of person, which is now my charity. So anyway, so I just think that's something to like revisit and talk about because I think that would inspire people to know that like you, you've got to help each other and believe, you've got to be a believer as much as a doer. And, and there's, I don't know, I, I think we don't see that as I much. That, to me, I do like uh, the way I see it is you really are the queen of fat, modest fashion. Like you're, I don't see anyone doing it to the level that you did it. You really were in both worlds so fully. I think because I was also really yeah. in the industry. Right, right, exactly. Like I wasn't out on the street wearing something, taking photos of myself. I was getting photographed going to a legit show. Exactly. Because I had my own blog that accredited and I could bring photographers. Like I actually was working in the industry. And I think that also just gives it a certain level of like. Ability. And authenticity. It, for sure. It's just, an, it's interesting, much more interesting than someone putting on clothes, like, you know. Yeah. yeah, you really you you set the bar to like where where that level could be. You know, that is that's, that's always what I'm showing for. I know, like throughout my life, they always say like 
what's important to you? What's your purpose? And they're just like, or they, I say they hypothetically, I guess the self-help world and all these people, but um, they say like, look at your actions and they're a testimony of what, what you show up for, what you believe in. And I think I always show up for others. That's just my nature. When it comes to myself, I'm super lazy in terms <laughs> not, not lazy and I don't work and lazy in that it, I don't want to share content. I don't want to share my life. But if I know someone else needs me to take them to fashion week, I'm taking a team and I sure as hell I'm going to show up wow. to show up. Adi, thank you so much. I miss you so much. You guys are fantastic for doing this. Thank, thank you for being here, Adi. It means a thank lot. Thank you for sharing. We'll be in touch Of soon. course. We'll speak soon. Be Bye. well. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Oh My God podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform so you don't miss any of our upcoming interviews. If this episode spoke to you, please share it with someone you believe would love it just as much as you did and rate the podcast five stars so we can continue to make content like this for you. Do you have a question, suggestion, or interview request? Shoot us an email to omgpod at gmail.com. That's omgpod spelled O-H. E-M-G-E-E-P-O-D at gmail.com. We're so excited to hear what you think and cannot wait for you to tune in next week. Until then, shalom. Shalom.